0: talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll and summer is here looking to be a busy one for everybody including me. I'm headed back to the UK next month for the Jericho Chronicles. I'm telling stories, answering your questions. There's going to be different stories and different topics every single night. Tickets available now at itrtix.com. There are still a few VIPs left. Make sure to get yours now July 4th in Glasgow, Scotland at swg 3 July 5th in Belfast at Limelight, and July 6th, London at The Grand. Get your tickets now at itrtix.com. We are going to have a grand old time. So make sure you join us once again, itrtix.com. Get your tickets and VIPs while you still can. And if you live in Canada or the States or Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland, England, Wales... Uh, Australia, New Zealand, you have a chance to come rock with Fozzy this fall. We're doing another round of dates on the Save the World Tour in nine countries. And we start in the United States, September 8th in Columbus, Ohio at the King of Clubs. Fozzyrock.com is all the dates and ticket information, along with details on our legendary VIP meet and greets. We always play five songs for you. A pre-show concert, a pre-show show. And, of course, we meet you, we greet you, we hang out with you, we sign some stuff. It is a great time. Don't forget, we start in the United States, we go to Canada, we're hitting Montreal and Toronto. Then we're headed uh, down under, once again, November, December, New Zealand and Australia. Fozzie is heading your way, kicking that tour off in Auckland, November 28th, hitting Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide in Australia. And don't forget, once again, the UK tour starts in November, We are going across the entire country with Escape the Fate, one of uh, our favorite rock and roll bands and another huge band in their own right. It's going to be the biggest tour we've ever had in the UK, which has always been uh, probably our best territory. And, of course, that tour starts in November as we start November 4th in Manchester at New Century Hall, Birmingham, Nottingham, Dublin, Belfast, Swansea, Bournemouth, bristol glasgow london so many rock and roll shows go to fozzyrock.com for all ticket information and vip details all right today on the show making his uh, single debut he's part of the jericho appreciation society one of the foundations just had a killer main event match against john moxley at the forum in los angeles just a few weeks ago and he's the guy who single-handedly brought back the kangol hat I'm talking about Daniel Garcia. You heard his story about how he joined the Jericho Appreciation Society, but now you're going to hear his entire career story, how he got started, where he trained, when he first made the Blade, a.k.a. Peppa Pox, details about his WWE tryout that did not uh, go successfully, thankfully for us. When he signed to AEW as a result, he's got stories of the Buffalo wrestling scene, the Indies, how he, Wheeler Yuta, and Lee Moriarty were able to make them name for themselves in the Indies, even during the pandemic and how he views his in-ring style and personality. Danny's also talking about the car crash that nearly ended his wrestling career and brought us together as fate would have it. So we're going to be talking to the epitome of sports entertainment, Daniel Garcia, right here, right now on talk is Jericho. All right. So, uh, we were a,
1: a- critically acclaimed Talk as Jericho the other day with the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society and during that time I realized that I hadn't had Daniel Garcia on you called me out and here you are finally on yeah, your own
2: I, I felt pretty disrespected that you didn't have me on the show I was wondering when you were going to invite me but it just never came so I'm <laughs> glad I'm finally here
1: well there's lots to talk about too which we'll get into but first of all I mean that that we did the uh, the JAS one prior to the Anarchy in the Arena and prior to the to the great match you had with Moxie the night on Dynamite so First of all, what did you think of Anarchy in the Arena? Let's discuss that, just the two of us.
2: Ooh, Anarchy in the Arena was an interesting night. Like, going into it, I wasn't really sure how it was going to go or necessarily what all the plans were for everything. But it's one of those matches, once you're doing it, like, you know it feels right. Right. Like, once I was in the moment and I was brawling in the concessions, I knew that we were part of something special. And seeing the aftermath, how it's been received it's been really special for me.
1: Well, it's it's amazing too because, like you said, we didn't really know. I, I knew it would be good just because all of us are in it. We had kind of a cool, you know, uh, skeleton for it. But I, even I wasn't expecting it to be as crazy as it was. And the crowd was just going bananas. Like, I remember thinking, this is probably going to be hard if the crowd
2: can't really see all the fighting. But they, they were into it all the way across the board. It, it was exciting because when I went out, like, I heard Justin Roberts announce, like, this is anarchy in the arena, and the crowd erupted. Yeah. And I think right when I heard that, I thought, this is going to be a lot easier than I thought it was yeah. So talk a little about your concession brawl, because Eddie was uh, convinced, dead set on doing the, the Tupelo-Mississippi concession oh, fight. Eddie Kingston is a dog, man. So <laughs> I give Ortiz those pile drivers on the stairs. That looked great, by the way. That oh, was thank awesome. Thank you, thank you. I didn't know it's your
1: getting at when you said you wanted to do the move. I'm like, what did you want to do? And thought, that was really cool.
2: Thank you. But I definitely underestimated the, the walk from the ring up into the concession stand. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, man, Matt's getting choked by that hanger. I got to go save him. So I start walking up, and about a quarter way up the stairs, I'm blown up. I'm breathing heavy. <laughs> I feel like Rocky running up the stairs in Philadelphia. And yeah. then I, I get up there, and I just see a sea of people, like legitimately probably like three, 400 people in oh, the wow. concession stand yeah. area and I'm with um I'm really good friends with one of the bodyguards uh David here at play and he was Isn't that Ortiz's cousin? Ortiz's yeah. cousin, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. He's been he's watching me beat his cousin up for a year and hasn't done anything <laughs> about a damn it. He done damn thing. Right. <laughs> he was kind of uh right next to me and he was saying to me like where are we going? Where are we going? And I just jetted through the crowd and jumped on Eddie and the concession stand area went crazy. It felt like I was in like a cafeteria fight in high right, yeah, school. In high school.
1: <laughs> And just a quick segue for, for people uh, that don't know, David was actually in the motorcycle club that had a couple things with the Inner Circle and then ended up becoming one of our top security guards here. So you never know. You never know when you get your, your, uh, your chance. So, um, yeah, it felt like, a, like you said,
2: like a, like a high school cafeteria fight. That's what it felt like. Kid. like so I, I went to a school called Hutch Tech in downtown Buffalo. People were fighting all the time. And that brought me right back to high school. Just, like, jumping on Eddie Kingston while he's covered in ketchup and mustard and Matt's blood. I was like, man, this brings me back to the uh, the good old days of middle school and high school.
1: <laughs> and, of course, then, uh, you know, we always say that, like, oh, who cares about the star ratings or whatever? And for the most part, I don't. But when you see that we got the five-star rating, that's pretty cool. Like, I was like, that's, that's not easy to do. I think that's only my second
2: after 32 years of these matches that I've had. Yeah, I mean once um matt told me yesterday he texted the group chat and was like yeah i think uh we got a five star rating i was in the hotel lobby with jeff because we were going to that uh that mixer thing yeah. and i got up and i started beating my chest i got i got real excited because <laughs> that's an accomplishment that when you grow up in my era of wrestling fans like i grew up in like the the internet wrestling community and star ratings and melter that was all very important to mm-hmm. my generation of people so once I found out we I got a five star rating, I'm like, man, that's a cool thing to check off my bucket list.
1: Well, You know, it's funny because it, it, I've been reading Dave's newsletter since I was training. The newsletter used to come like on a like typewritten paper, and the Calgary Boxing and Wrestling Commission guy had it, and it'd be almost like, can we see one of those sheets or whatever we used to call them, with rags or whatever it was. So to me, and like you mentioned, like like if people just not understanding a five star rating, like I had. The match of the year in The Observer versus Shawn Michaels on the ladder match from 2009, that wasn't five stars. I had what was voted the greatest raw match of all time, which was Jericho and Benoit versus Austin and Triple H. That wasn't five stars. Now, in my head, they're five stars. I don't know how much better. But for Dave's rating system, they weren't. So the first five star I ever got was, was Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome 2018. And that's like 28 years into the job for me. So for you to get one at 23 years old, like you said, that's a pretty cool thing.
2: Yeah, it's cool to know that if I never get another five-star match ever again, I got one. Yeah. I I got one. It's cool to kind of, like, get it out of the way a little bit.
1: Well, like you said, it was our first official kind of five-way match, and here we are. Yeah,
2: that's the craziest part. Like, it was our first time as a tag team. We've all been in a match together, and we're five stars. Maybe we should just stop now. Maybe we should just be (laughs) batting 100.
1: We're done. So tell me about how it was for then as well, so you show up a few days later uh, it was kind of a last minute decision of Moxie and Danny Garcia. Now, have you main evented Dynamite before as a single match?
2: Yeah. So actually, li- little stat: I've main evented the most di- the most AEW shows in the past year out of anybody. Really?
1: Yes. Yes.
2: I've main evented the most AEW shows in the past year out You're of any- anybody on the roster.
1: Who Who were some of the other main events that you had?
2: Uh, Sammy Guevara. Mo- That's right. Mox at the United Center. Um. Me and you against Reynolds and Silver. Right. Yeah, I, I've had a okay. I've had a bunch of them. I meet me and King on Rampage a couple times.
1: So how was that for you? Like you said, because you, we mentioned on the podcast that you kind of came in and you were um, had a good run in the Indies, and you didn't know if you wanted to, to 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 be here. Now that you're here at 23 years old, having the most main events, I mean that's a pretty big deal too.
2: Yeah, it it feels like a big deal. I'm blown away by the amount of trust that Tony showed in me, like right off the bat. I mean, I got here and we were, I was wrestling Mox, at main event in the United Center, yeah. like a couple of weeks into being at AEW. Right. And I feel like I was just able to build a lot of trust with him by doing really well in all my performances to where now we were driving um, home from, or we were driving to LA from Vegas, me, the blade and Laura, or the, the bunny. bunny yeah. we, we were all driving uh, to LA and we're eating at a diner and I just opened up my phone and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm wrestling mox at the forum <laughs> no, <I told laughs> on you. Wednesday. I just see a tweet from Tony oh, okay. saying Daniel Garcia's <laughs> wrestling mox. And uh, I feel like now the trust is very warranted that he has in me because yeah. he knows he gives me something. I'm going to do my best of it and I'm going to do it well. But off the bat, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know how he how he had so much trust in me. Like I had no TV wrestling experience for him to just say, yeah, we're going to put him against all these big stars and big main events. Well, we
1: know that Tony follows the indies very closely, right? Yeah. So, and you mentioned you had a pretty big indie run. So, did did you have a lot of steam? Um, Like, what companies were you working in that kind of built up where you, like, mentioned you had such a good run?
2: Yeah, I was wrestling for Beyond, C4 Wrestling, Limitless Wrestling. um, A lot of, like, the the top-tier American indies I was wrestling. And I had, like, just gone to Mexico, Puerto Rico. So, I was developing... A really big run on the indies mm-hmm. and i think tony he must have a IWTV account where he watches <laughs> all my matches or something and uh he ended up actually texting pepper and he said like hey danny garcia is one of your guys right and he was like uh, and pepper was like yeah so then he said oh i want to book him i want to bring him in and then that's how i wrestled so, sting and uh king and darby and mox in that match of 2.0 so it was sting darby and kingston and mocks, uh Sting at Ringside.
1: Let's talk about that. So you, you mentioned being in Buffalo, from Buffalo, and so is the Butcher and the Blade, but Pepper is the Blade. So is that who, that's who is like your technical, your trainer?
2: Yeah, so I was trained at a school called Grapplers Anonymous in Lackawanna, New York. It's two minutes out from South Buffalo, where I live. It's a... The gym is a five-minute drive from my house and i was trained by a guy named brandon thurston and mikey every night uh brandon thurston is actually the analytical guy guy who who does all the data gets the data oh i was
1: wondering so he used to be a wrestler
2: yeah he's he's my original trainer him and a guy named mikey every night and then i was training there for a little bit and pepper ended up coming into the gym like a couple week, a couple weeks months since i started training and he did advanced classes and I took his advanced classes he put he put like a nice polish on all the guys so he's one of my trainers how well. old were you then 18 i started so were you still in high school or did you drop out or how'd you get involved uh, i graduated high school so i was in college during all this oh. stuff yeah
1: okay so was that always
2: something you wanted to do when you were a kid was getting into wrestling yeah wrestling was something i was always a fan of i wanted to be a hockey player growing up yeah. I, 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 play, I played hockey my whole life but obviously, you get to an age where you realize, I'm never going to be in the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not good enough to be in the NHL. And
1: not a lot of Garcias in the NHL. Not a lot
2: of, <laughs> not a lot of uh, Latino <laughs> and Hispanic right, men in yeah. the NHL. I feel like wrestling is something that I liked, but I never knew I could do. I never understood, like, man, like, how do I become a wrestler? I was at a local indie show, and it was Johnny Gargano against Tony Nese, um, this company called ESW in Buffalo. And they had a match. And I remember meeting them after the show and standing next to them, being like, "Man, these guys aren't that much bigger than me. Right. Like I'm taller than these guys. Maybe I could be a wrestler." And one of the local guys at the show, Mikey, every night he told me about the school he ran, and then I started training there.
1: It's interesting. There's always that moment of truth where you go, "Hold on a second, they're not that big." Mm-hmm. I remember when I, I met, I, I waited in line at the World of Wheels, like in about 1987, to meet Ricky Steamboat. It's a famous picture that I, I used it when I worked at WrestleMania where my eyes are kind of closed. It's the typical 16-year-old kid meeting somebody famous. He doesn't know what to do. And I remember I, I waited in line for like an hour and a half, and I was just trying to think what's the best question I could ask him. And what I came up with is, how tall are you? <laughs> that was all he could ask. And he said he was 5'11", and he's like, twelve, two hundred thirty 230 pounds. I was like, 5'11"? I'm 5'11". Like, wow, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, same height as me. And he's like the best, you know? So you, you get that moment where it kind of clicks in. where Because there is kind of a, a common miscommunication that you have to be six feet two or whatever
2: it may be. But in this day and age, that's not even the case at all ever. Yeah, you don't even got to be yeah. six foot eight. I mean, five foot, foot, four, five foot yeah. eight now, yeah. You could be <laughs> any size you want. But yeah, it was really interesting because you see people on TV and they look so big. And even at an indie show as a live viewer, they just look so much bigger because you're on an elevated platform, under all these lights and stuff. So they look like, just like gods almost. You're Mm. like, man, these people are so big. But then when you meet them at the merch table, you're like, oh man, I'm about three inches taller than this guy, (laughs) maybe I could become a wrestler. So did you finish your your college, your university? Yeah, I graduated in May of 2020. I have a degree in communication.
1: Oh, wow. So you were working already in the business at that point too though? Yeah,
2: I, I was doing the indies and I had a job and I was in college.
1: Because I had my college degree that I had I got before, it's actually communications as well. It's called creative communications, but because I was too young to go to wrestling school, you had to be eighteen. I graduated from high school I was seventeen. So I kind of did that for a couple years
2: to, uh, kill some time
1: but that sort of stuff helps with wrestling the communication aspect
2: of it yeah well one of the reasons why i went for communication is because i remember hearing like you and edge and talk about how you guys went to college for like broadcasting and communication and stuff like that that's cool and i'm like man maybe uh maybe this could help me when i want to become a wrestler
1: so there's a lot of kind of indie guys in 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 buffalo it seems kind of a a hot
2: indie area yeah it, it for a while it was like dead there wasn't a lot of good wrestlers there but once a couple young guys like me, this guy named Kevin Blackwood, this guy named Puff, um, Kevin wrestles for like PWG. Yeah, he did dark a couple times. I think we've seen him here. Yeah, before, he, yeah. he did dark sometimes. Maybe Puff too, right? Puff did yeah. it too. He was. I remember Puff. Puff was the best man for um Kip and Penelope's wedding. I think on <laughs> the one of the dynamites, just randomly out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, and Kevin Bennett. Once we all started wrestling scene kind of like picked up and it was a place that other indie wrestlers wanted to come to and of course people would book the car and we we were kind of known as like the buffalo guys the buffalo brothers yeah and we would just be booked and we would like go to all these companies and we're four different wrestlers so we'd be like a variety on people's shows it's not like you're booking four of the same wrestler right you're booking four completely different people
1: so let's talk about this and this is one of the things that that i blew my mind that I, i didn't put two and two together and like i said you never even told me either but I remember, I guess it was like two years ago, and reading that some independent wrestlers were on a car, and I'm probably getting this wrong, and you can tell me after we're in a, on a car trip, it, hit some black ice or whatever, slid off the highway and trashed the car and were totally messed up and needed help with their hospital insurance, hospital bills. And I'd never met the guys before. Uh, never even heard of them before. But I I just really like connected with it because we used to get four or five in a car and drive up in uh, northern you know in canada up in alberta and in manitoba and those roads were very icy too and there's a few times we were like whoa whoa, i was close it could have just as easily went that way for us so i donated some money and then years later i find out that one of those guys was you daniel garcia and i was like he never told me i've talked to this guy like five or six times we actually used that in our very first jericho appreciation society promo but Kind of tell me about that night and and, and first of all, why didn't you ever mention it to me that that was that we did that?
2: Well, I mentioned it to you the first time I was an extra here. Okay. I, I remember me and a couple of the Buffalo guys that were here. We came up and like thanked you for your donation. Oh, okay, and cool. stuff like that. But you
1: were probably just kind of more of a nameless, faceless, yeah, dark guy. At that yeah, point, you right? you
2: didn't know who I was at that point. Right. Um, but yeah, we were on our way home from a show in Montreal, booked by um Carl Leduc, the guy who got beat up in wrestling with shadows by Stu Hart in the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Abrahantes <laughs> was also in that scene as well. I found out. Was he really? Yeah, he was. Yeah, we were on our way home from a show in Montreal. What is
1: that about a two-hour drive or so? Or
2: no, Montreal to Buffalo is probably like six, seven okay, hours.
1: Okay, I was thinking Albany. Yeah, you yeah. That, right?
2: So we, um, it's like four in the morning. We're about an hour out from home. Like we were so close to being home. And we've done this drive like so many times. We were getting booked in Montreal every single month, and um, we just hit some black ice. The car spun out and we crashed. Right into like the end of the guardrail, so the guardrail basically splits the car. in Like half. in a T, so the guardrail is straight, and you guys are hitting it as a T. Yeah, goal. or like, no, like we hit it straight, so it went straight through the front of the car. Oh my into gosh! Yeah, back, yeah. The, and, the, um, the,
1: the actual guardrail went all the way through the car. Yeah, it's amazing that you didn't get sliced in two. It, it, Who was driving?
2: Uh, one of the Buffalo. Guys, one of gotcha. the Buffalo gotcha. guys. Gotcha. Yeah. It matter. I was um, just me and Blackwood were in the back seat, and we um. We both broke. I broke my femur in my right leg, and my fibia and tibia in my left shin and That's ankle.
1: So for, for, let's go back to this crash. What do you remember about the crash?
2: Ooh, I. So I was sleeping in the back, oh and I remember God. I woke up, and we were just spinning. And in, in my mind, like it, it feels almost comical now. I was just like, "Oh man, like here we go, like strap in." And I remember we crashed, and like the sound was disgusting. Like just the ripping through the car, you could like hear it. It was nasty, but after the crash it was almost like peaceful like it was you couldn't hear anything there was no traffic there was like dew on the ground because I was able to get to the ground somehow and I remember just laying there and I looked up at the front of the car and I see the people in the front and puff is trying to break through the glass window to get out and I remember being almost like calming I I was in this exact tone right now like how I'm talking this is exactly how I was talking and Kevin Bennett, he goes, Daniel, are you okay? And I'm like, I went, yeah, I'm good. I think I broke both my legs, though. That, that's exactly how I said it. You're totally in shock. Yeah, I was, like, so at peace, so calm. And I remember it just being so cold out. It's the middle of winter. What month is it? January. January, gotcha, yeah, yeah. It was just freezing. And we couldn't find our phones to call, it, like, the ambulance. Luckily, Puff found his phone and was able to call. And I remember he was arguing with the... um the paramedics on the phone because they were like, just act, asking for information that was hard for us to get at the time. Yeah. Like, what highway are you near? Like, right, what exit right. are you near? Yeah. It's like we don't know. We think our friend is dead in the back seat. Was that I'm, Blackwood? Yeah, we thought Blackwood was dead in the back seat. Was he he's unconscious. He's completely knocked out. Wow. I'm laying on the grass. I I can't move at all, and I think I'm about to get hypothermia. It's so cold, yeah. and uh, we were just all in such shock. Mm-hmm. And luckily, the paramedics come. Now, the, the thing that made me mad most is the paramedic says, oh, can you stand up? And I said, oh, I think my legs are broken. And they go, well, you got to try. And I'm like, oh, how do you want me to try? <laughs> like, sure how do you want me to go about this? I'm pretty yeah. sure they're broken. And then I remember we went to the hospital and my mom showed up and um, Pepper showed up. And um, then I went into surgery. Mm-hmm. So the, what was the total? You broke what? Uh, my femur and my right leg, so that's your bone from your hip to your that's knee. That's the big one. Yeah. yeah, that's the big one. And then my fibia in my tibia and fibula in my left shin and left ankle. Wow. So you, you wake up from surgery, and what's the prognosis? Ooh, I, I remember right before I was going into surgery, my mom was with me, and she she asked actually the doctor. She was like, "Well, do you think he'll he'll ever be able to wrestle again?" And the doctor was so nonchalant. He was like, "Yeah, he'll. I think he'll be able to. Like, he should be good." But in, like that was the last thing on my mind. I think my yeah. mom thought that that was like what I the wanted. The first thing on your mind, yeah. To to feel peace, and I have the best mom in the world. You know? <laughs> um, but I remember I came out of surgery, and I f- I felt good. I was surrounded by people who loved me. I was surrounded by people who I really cared about, and who clearly cared about me because they're coming to a hospital to right and see me at my worst. And I remember the first couple of days after, I just felt so blessed to be alive and so blessed to have such a good support team around me. I know it sounds corny, but no. those moments like that, it really, it really makes you feel grateful for life. Yeah. So what were the injuries that some of the other guys had? Kevin broke his, the same thing in his left ankle, but he didn't break his femur. And I think he had some head trauma mm. as well at first, but he's okay now. Mm. And then Puff in bennett who were in the front seats they were fine luckily and i I think i remember right after surgery i said to my mom i said thank god it was me and kevin that got hurt because kevin bennett in the front had just had a baby and then puff also in the front weighs he's a big man he weighs like 400 pounds so i don't know how he would have recovered and it would have been bad for kevin to have to take off work when he just has a newborn baby yeah so Thank God it was me and Kevin are the ones that got hurt. Did you have to do any, like, learning how to walk or anything like that again? Or just had to wait for the healing and you were fine? We, I had a physical therapy and occupational therapy in the hospital. So they had to teach me how to, like, get on and off the toilet, get out and out of bed, those kind of things. Gotcha. Like, simple everyday habits. That was the occupational therapy. That was the biggest. Um, the doctor's biggest concern for me to go home.
1: So when you guys put I I can't remember if it's
2: GoFundMe. I'm assuming. How much did
1: you get from that? Did you? I think
2: the GoFundMe total I want to say was like, I think forty thousand dollars, something like that. It were was. You, were
1: you like blown
2: away by the amount of support that you got? I was so blown away. I mean, when I saw you donated, like Finn Balor, CM Punk, like these people who, like you said, it could have been anybody. Yeah. Everybody knows what it's like to drive. If you're yeah. if you're an indie wrestler, you know what it's like to drive and. It could, that could have been anybody. And that's not something that you necessarily think about when you're going on a road trip You're right for a wrestling show. You're just concerned about, oh, man, I hope we get trans money for the show. <laughs> exactly. And right. I, I, hope, I hope there's a restaurant open after <laughs> the show so I don't have to eat McDonald's. You're not worried about, oh, man, I hope I make it home alive. What
1: makes you realize that, that it can happen so quickly, and it has happened to some of the brothers, Adrian Adonis and Brady Boone, uh, a couple others, but also, too, that wrestling is such a brotherhood. You know, like you said, guys like Punk or, or Finn or, or me, I think Tony might have even donated some. Yeah, Tony did. You know, it's, it's just guys that just, like you said, we've all been here before. Yeah, And we
2: got lucky and you didn't, so. Yeah, and I mean, it, it really was just beautiful to, once I saw, I like opened Twitter, I think. And then I checked the group chat with like my friends. And they were saying, oh, like, CM Punk just donated. I'm like, man, that's a, that's a cool feeling. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Like, it, it made me feel very blessed. Like even yeah. the people who had no idea who I was at the time are willing to support me because they know how hard the struggle of, of wrestling is in general. And then they know the struggle of being in a car accident while you're trying to do what you love on top yeah. of that. It was really beautiful, beautiful for me to see everybody's support. So how long was it until you got back into the ring again after the crash? My first match after that, I believe, was June. So I went from January to June. It was uh, against Stu Grayson at C4 Wrestling. Wow. It was a pretty quick turnaround time. I don't want to (laughs) brag, but my my surgeon told me that it was the fastest he's seen anybody come back from either of those injuries, let alone both at the same time. Wow. That's amazing. I was on some John Cena, Wolverine (laughs) recovery type (laughs) stuff. That is
1: true. (laughs) Those stories that you heard are, are, are exactly true. So let's talk. let's talk a little bit more about kind of your journey to get to AEW. Now um, you mentioned that you had this great indie run. You mentioned you went to Mexico and Puerto Rico. How long were you there? Let's for example in Mexico, and what
2: company were you working for there? Mexico, I only did one show. Okay, <laughs> I, I just went for like a weekend. It was a show called. Uh, it's actually called Lucha Memes. The show was called Lucha Memes. Yeah, yeah. and I wrestled uh, this guy named Aramis, who I yeah. believe he signed to MLW now. He wrestles for PWG. Yeah. And we wrestled, and we had like a like an American-style super indie match. But I did not realize how hard that ring was going to be. Yes. We were doing like pile drivers and superplexes, and my elbows are still messed up from <laughs> wrestling in that Mexican ring, man.
1: It's amazing. They were shitty you know, 30 years ago when I was there,
2: and they haven't upgraded them at all. Yeah. No, no wonder why every luchador, they just roll for all their bumps. Yeah. Like everything is an arm right. bag or something like that. Because I don't want to bump in that That's ring That's a either. great
1: point. I remember I wrestled one time with this guy called Fabuloso Blondie. He was kind of a kind of a legendary local guy there, yeah. and uh, I was like, I got this idea. This he goes, dude, you're not going to want to take any bumps. Like, and I'm thinking, it's just kind of this old school brother doesn't want to work hard. I'm like, whatever. I remember he gave me a hip toss, and I was like, holy, uh-huh.
2: shit. like you're right, dude. Let's just do some roll arounds and a couple, you know, kicks in the face. Let's get out of here. That was the same thing that happened with me. We had a whole match planned, and I think the first thing I took was like a leg sweep. And i took it and went like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i wish we did not call this match
1: (laughs) (laughs) so most of those types of matches are you just going in for one-offs it wasn't like you were there like for example like i lived in mexico for a year or whatever maybe you never did anything like that no i never had the chance to do anything like that yeah gotcha did you ever have any uh time with wwe in any way shape or form i know you
2: did yeah so i did i think a year into wrestling i did actually work for wwe and I wrestled Drew Gulak on 205 Live oh, wow. in like a 15 second match, I think. Really? Yeah, and he beat me up pretty bad. It was, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty nasty, pretty ruthless. And then I had a, I had a WWE tryout in January of last year, so 2021, and I had a match on NXT right after the tryout.
1: So was that after you'd already been kind of working here for a bit, in Darks or whatever? Yeah,
2: I did i did one loop of dark in september of 2020 and then i had my tryout in january of 2021. now is this one of those tryouts where you go to the to the performance center they make you do 100 rolls and bumps and barrel rolls and all yes, that shit. yes so many burpees to show that i'm a good wrestler <laughs> <laughs> so and what did they say to you when the camp was done yeah so uh i did the camp and honestly i crushed it like the, the promo was phenomenal um well, I thought it was at the time. Yeah. Looking back, probably probably it wasn't. But you
1: had confidence in it, though. Yeah,
2: like at the time, I liked it, and I had a really good practice match against. It was only me, one other indie guy, and then like a bunch of football players. Yeah, of course,
1: because right. if you want to be a wrestler, how dare you actually go to
2: become an independent wrestler? Go, go, foul at another sport if you want to be a wrestler. Uh, but yeah, and I, I thought I did really well. They asked me to stay another extra day to go um, to have a, like a dark, not a dark match, but a squash match on NXT against Tyler Rust, his name was, in Diamond Mine throughout your And the match went really well. I remember I went through the back, and like Shawn Michaels loved it, and uh, Road Dogg loved it, A-Train loved it. Triple H shook my hand and said, welcome to the team. Really? So, yeah, and I think he thought I was signed, but like I wasn't at the time. Oh. (laughs) But in in my mind, I'm like, oh, like, I guess I'm going to NXT. Right. Mom, I'm moving to Orlando, <laughs> and uh, I talked to Canyon Seaman right before I left, and he said, "Hey, like, let me know if you, if any other place has interest because uh, we'll sign you sooner." And in my mind, I'm like, "That's disrespectful to me." Big time. Yeah. Like, if you want to sign me, just sign me. And then I remember I was like, "Okay, he wants he wants to play that. I'll play it back to him." He said, "So if if you're gonna sign anywhere else, talk to us sooner." And at the time, I had like interest from Ring of Honor, and um. I knew AEW wanted to bring me back in for like extra work, but I was like I'm going to make this seem bigger than it actually is. So I said to him, "Well, with that being said, I'll talk to you very soon." And I think he got kind of hot at me for that. Right. I think I think they shook him up a little bit. And um they emailed me a couple weeks later kind of saying like, "Oh, like we're going to stay in contact, blah blah blah." And then that kind of made me mad. And then I went on a crazy indie run <laughs> and then I signed with AEW. You know,
1: it's funny to me, like when you hear those stories and you're kind of like maybe a little bit shorter than what the prototype is, but you're 23, got experience, good looking guy, you can talk, you can wrestle. And they're like, well, if anyone else calls you, let us know. I don't get it. Like, it's actually somebody pointed out, it might have even been Dave in the review of the uh, Anarchy in the Arena. It's like three fifths of our team. Matt and Angelo got fired from WWE after never really getting to do anything. And you had a tryout and didn't even get picked up. And it's just like, and here we are main eventing, you know, this pay-per-view and having these great matches. And
2: it's, it's interesting. It's insane. Cause I remember, well, Regal actually just did an interview the other day where he said, I, I think the time that I did the tryout, the things were already be- being put into place where NXT was gonna change right like they weren't super interested in indie wrestlers anymore Because gotcha. Regal just did an interview the other day where he said he wanted to sign Me Yuda and Ricky Starks while he was still there All three of those guys. Yeah, all three of you guys had, had tryouts. Yeah, and he, he said he wanted to sign all three of us but NXT just changed so quickly right, 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 right. that he wasn't able to get us in but I think it's for the best. Yeah, well, I, I think it's think it worked. Out I think just it's, fine. I think it's for the best. So tell me a little bit more about this great indie run that you had. Why were you, Why do you call it a great indie run? I think indie wrestling is in a very different place than it was two years ago. Right. And when I blew up in indie wrestling, we didn't have any stars left. You know, because AEW came about, Ring of Honor started signing people. A couple years ago, on in the indies, there was people. you had like Gargano, Champa, um, Sammy Callahan those people got signed. But then it's like, we had MJF left, Sammy Guevara, um, Brody King. We had like, still names left. And then all of a sudden, NXT starts signing all these indie guys. AEW comes about, they sign all the indie guys. Ring of Honor is signing people to contracts again. All the UK indie guys are signed over there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember a group of us on the indies, like the people that were left, like me, Wheeler Yuda, Lee Moriarty, Kevin Blackwood, were kind of looking around like, man, we're the only ones left. We're probably the best wrestlers here. And part of us, I feel like we didn't feel ready at the time. We were like, man, I'm not ready to like be main eventing shows, even though it's a little indie show. Right. I don't feel ready to be in these spots. And I think it was kind of cool because we all kind of had to grow together. Ah. We didn't really have people who could teach us. We didn't have legends that we could wrestle like Chris Hero. We, we didn't have experiences to wrestle Roger Strong we didn't have opportunities to wrestle people who could really teach us. So right. we had to learn from each other and grow together. And um, once we all got to the point where we were pretty good, I feel like nobody could touch our little group on the indies. And then I think soon after that, that's when everyone started to catch wind of it. Like me and Yuta both got trouts at the same time, like about the same time. We started wrestling for New Japan Strong at the same time. Oh, okay. And um, I think everyone started to catch wind of us once we uh, once we were all able to grow into ourselves, right? And we did it really independently, which I think was really cool
1: Well, I mean that's kind of how our generation of guys did it too because there was no You know, it, it was a lot harder to kind of get on TV back then because you know, like, how do we even get to WWE? And plus you talk about guys being bigger They all were bigger then. so what we had to do is kind of go international Japan and Mexico for me it was Mexico then Japan Uh, And find the places where they didn't care about size as much; they just cared about the quality of wrestling. So it's it's interesting how every generation has the guy you stick together with your boys. You know what I mean? And that's cool. That's you know,
2: it it felt really cool. Just like I said, we didn't have any role models left on the Indies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we didn't have people that we could wrestle and learn and become great from. So we had to do it with each other. When you started uh, kind of
1: thinking about AEW and you're working here a bit and then so you kinda mentioned it on our last podcast with the Jericho Appreciation Society, but how did you end up finally deciding to come to AEW? Because at first you're a little hesitant it seemed.
2: Yeah, so they had reached out to me to do extra work for the double or nothing pay per view last year. Which and, was in Jacksonville. Which is in yeah. Jacksonville, yes. It was like the first like show again with like a lot Ooh, of with fans, the crowd, I think. Yeah. And I remember at the time I had just did it in May. And the experience for me personally, it didn't feel great. I really enjoyed the extra work the first time I did it at AEW, but the second time around I did it, I, I just it was kinda like whatever. Yeah. Respectfully, I felt like I had kind of outgrown an extra yeah. work role. And then they reached out to me to do it again for the double or nothing pay-per-view. And I I was just kind of over it. I said no. I turned it down. And then in July I had a crazy week lined up. I had this it's a technical wrestling tournament in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's called SCI. A lot of big names have done it, like Chris Hero, Matt Riddle. Right. It's like a pretty big indie thing, gotcha. especially in the South. I had that lined up, and I had the IWTV title match with Yuta lined up, where we did an hour-long draw, which is critically acclaimed. That's so, crazy, it's very man. Cr- yeah, that's it's awesome. a critically acclaimed match. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's like on lists for like best matches of the year, like almost on every list. That's great and um i had that week lined up and then tony had texted pepper and asked if i could come in and in my mind i remember i was sitting in the living room with my mom when i got this text i said mom do you think i should go and she was like yeah you have a crazy week anyways you might as well just go do it and i said fine i'll I'll fly out to jacksonville and um so i went and that's when i found out i was doing that crazy match with 2.0 i met 2.0 for the first time
1: that quickly
2: yeah man i think i got home on a monday and then I had to fly out the next day to uh, to get to Jacksonville <laughs> to wrestle with Mox and yeah. King and Darby.
1: It's amazing. That, that's the, you know that's the thing about wrestling. You always have momentum and you can feel it. But it's like, when am I gonna get my break? When am I going get break? And finally, what happens? And it goes fast after that.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm a big believer in not chasing things but attracting things oh. and i feel like for a while in my wrestling career i was really focused on oh man i, I need a wwe contract yeah. or i need to get to ring of honor i need to get to AEW. and once i felt like i had enough freedom myself to say man maybe i don't need these things right now like i can have patience and i know it will come when the time is right yeah i i think like a month after a couple months after i had started feeling like that That's when the big break came. That's when it comes, right? And I felt like I was ready for it. I think if it came any sooner, maybe I wouldn't have been ready for it. Right. So I really think it came at the perfect time for me.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your style. Something else that you said on the the podcast, I just listened back to it yesterday, or wherever it was, where you said, like, people think I'm just this technical wrestler. But I mean, obviously, you have a lot of different sides to you. You can brawl, which we just saw. You have some, we're not high flyers in the sense of the word of high flyers now. But you can still do a pile driver off the apron onto the steps yeah, yeah. and take some of the bumps that you took. The, the bump you took on the stairs with Mox was absolutely insane. And I, I consider that high-flying as well yeah. because it's, a, it's very daredevil. Uh, what is your style? What did you pattern it after? Because you also exchanged some great holds with Mox that I've never been able to do. Yeah,
2: yeah. I like to describe my style as like emotional wrestling. Ah. I, I love making people feel. I think a lot of people at a surface level see my wrestling and it's just like, oh, he does some submission holds. Right. But to me, it's so much more than that. That's just my way of, that's the best way I can portray my feelings and my emotions and my struggle to a crowd. I think the best way I can connect with the crowd is by portraying struggle. And that's why I chose to do things with holds because I think that's the best way I could show it. It's, it's not easy connecting with the crowd, I, I don't think, especially when you're just too focused on moves right. and too focused on your spots and too focused on remembering matches. I think it's very hard to connect with the crowd. But submissions are something that I'm very comfortable with. So when I'm on the mat and I'm just kind of exchanging holds, I can kind of be in the moment and not have to focus on doing anything too high risk. Right. Or have to focus on doing anything that I'm not comfortable with, oh. and I feel like that's where I can really connect with the crowd the most.
1: It's very smart. It's very very astute thinking,
2: and that's the thing that I, that I like that that now that I got to know you, you're very
1: you're a very deep thinking guy, you know, and that that's important. That Swerve Strickland was like that too. His thoughts on wrestling were different from the norm, and that shows that you have a different kind
2: of feel for it. And I've always, since I started wrestling, I never wanted to be a guy who the crowd reacts to me because they feel like they need to react to whatever I'm doing. Like, I, I don't want people to be like, Oh, now is the time to clap. So I guess we're going to clap. Now is the time to chant. So now we're going to chant. I want people to react to me because they, they feel it. I want people to, even if they don't want to cheer or boo me, they feel like they have to, I want it to be a guttural feeling in themselves where they're not just playing along with the crowd right. or playing along with the show. I want them to, either love me truly or hate me truly i don't want to be oh now's the time to clap let's clap yeah. hey this is awesome like yeah, yeah. I, I would rather prefer guttural real reactions from people yeah actual. than uh circadian rhythm you know
1: did, did you had you done any live promos in aw before our first one in san antonio
2: uh, i did a bunch of the rampage three boxes right but i don't think i've ever done a live promo
1: how was that for you
2: Ooh, I, I remember I was nervous. Yeah. Like, going out, I felt fine. But once I knew my line was coming up, my hands, like, went numb. <laughs> like, I, I, my hands felt all tingly. Like, I remember Edge talked about his match with Undertaker at WrestleMania. He said he couldn't feel his hands beforehand. Yeah. Before the match when he was doing his entrance. And that's how I felt out there. I was like, okay, my line's coming up. This is a big moment for our whole group. It's kind of like... The, the group wouldn't be over if we messed up that segment, but I know this is the first time we're being seen. Like it's kind right. of, it's kind of do or die. So I knew I I had to deliver it to the best of my abilities and my hands were just so numb. <laughs> like I remember I could barely feel my hands at all. And then once I delivered the line, I was like, okay, I feel good. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. I, I can kind of be uh I can relax a little bit. Well, you did a great job with it too. Now that we right. talked a little bit about this, but did you get a lot of flack from the sports entertainer thing? Cause you're the, uh, wrestler guy yeah a lot of people online were just so mad at me like daniel how could you 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 shouldn't join chris jericho you you should join brian danielson like it's (laughs) like i like i can just go backstage and be like look chris the (laughs) the fans want me to join brian i got i gotta go
1: okay man well that's okay that's cool thanks man appreciate it
2: (laughs) i I got a lot of hate for that and but but I think it was good. It, it's good to show people a different side of me. Absolutely. And I think going with Brian would have been just such a easy, easy route, an easy path for my career. You know, I, I don't like easy paths. I like doing things that people don't see coming. Sure. And I like surprising people.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned that you met Two Point for the first time when you're about to have this huge match. Like once again, we're all actors, and I'm sure when you sign on for a movie, you don't have years of experience with your co-star, but once again, that's another huge night for you guys. Did the three of you guys sit down at any point and go like,
2: alright guys, we gotta kill this, or
1: was there any camaraderie there?
2: I feel like off the bat, I was kind of like, who, who are these goofballs, man? Like, like <laughs> I, I was like, I'm the best indie wrestler in the world. Why am I tagging with these two <laughs> these people who just got yeah. fired from NXT, these comedy guys? But definitely right off the bat, there was chemistry. I think uh, at first I was a little nervous because matt is such a ball of stress at all times and i felt like it was like rubbing off on me i just want to be like man like you need to calm down <laughs> you're, you're about to give me a panic attack before this match but um i i think right off the bat there was definitely chemistry especially when we made our entrance i was like okay I was, this kind of feels right and then after the match and then the next coming weeks like we just had each other's backs and we had a group chat and we were like jokes were flying and flowing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It just felt very natural to the point where I remember we did the United Center. And this is probably, I've known them for a month at this point when I did the United Center. And we I wrestled mocks. And I remember I was making my, my way back up the ramp. And we were kind of just looking around, taking it all in. And I remember I said to them, guys, I know I've only known you guys for a couple weeks. And I was about to say, but I love you guys. And before I could even get it out, they kind of cut me off. And they're like, they're like, don't even say it, man. We love you, too. We love you, too. <laughs> And I think that's the moment where I was like, these people are going to be in my life forever. Yeah. No matter what happens. Yeah. That's, I'm going to be with these guys forever.
1: So you're still wrestling in Indies now, and you're the current PWG champ, which is a huge deal. And I remember as soon as I saw that match, I said to Tony, like, he's got to win. He has to win this. So, I, and you did, which is great. So, kind of talk about that. Had you worked PWG? many times prior
2: so i didn't wrestle for pwg until i I signed to AEW. Oh, okay the first time i wrestled in pwg was october of 2021 so a couple months ago right i did that show and then i did bola where i won the tournament all right and then i wrestled for the title and then i won it from bandito (laughs) so my career at pwg has been pretty short so far but i'm planning on being there for a while so how was the match with bandito it was fun, man. A Bandito, he didn't show up until about 20 minutes before it was time to go out to wrestle. But we, uh, we went and we did the best match that I think we could have for that night. And it, it was a definitely a cool moment for me. To, uh, I, you know, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, um, Davey Richards, so many great names have held this title, yeah. people who I look up to, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole. So I feel like it's going to be cool to look back at the lineage after my career is over, it'll be even cooler to look back at the lineage sure. to be like, I-, I want someone to win that title. Who is a twenty-three-year-old, fifteen years from now, and be like, man, this was Daniel Garcia's yeah. title. That's how I want people to feel. Like, man, I-, I can't believe I'm holding Daniel Garcia's belt. That's how I want people to feel.
1: <laughs> do you still do a lot of indies though, on, on the weekends? Sort of uh, thing?
2: I don't really do a lot anymore. I was kind of told to uh to slow of to slow down a little bit, so I really only do PWG new japan strong which isn't really an indie and then i do defy every once in a while
1: have you been international at all
2: no i want to so bad though because i didn't blow up on the indies until pandemic right so i couldn't go to the uk or ireland or japan or anything like that so i pretty much had to stay in america but i've done canada a bunch too which i guess is technically international (laughs) but but not really you know it's a I can cross the border in five minutes from my house, so not really too international.
1: <laughs> How was that for you when the pandemic hit? Because, like we said, the independent wrestling was super hot, lots going on, and then like so many guys just lost everything over the course of a month. Because, at least like for us here, we were under contract, which is great. Uh, wrestling in front of no people, which we'll
2: talk about, but at least
1: we knew we still had a paycheck coming in. Indie guys
2: did not. Yeah, it was it was kind of like a reset. It felt like indie wrestling someone pressed a button and then it was like okay now it's fair game like we're gonna see who really rises from this and i think the people who rose from it were me yuda lee blackwood kind of our crop of guys i think we were all able to kind of stand the test of time and we were doing shows in front of no crowd and i think we're all talented enough to still put on good matches in a vacuum where there's no crowd interaction or anything like that and I think a lot of people were really impressed by our ability to do that—to captivate a viewing audience without a live audience actually there. Yeah, it was. It, I remember thinking, like, uh, someone was like, "Oh my gosh, I feel
1: so bad for the young guys with no crowd," and I was like, "The young guys, I feel bad for me." Yeah, working in front of thousands of people since I was a teenager—what <laughs> the hell am I supposed to do? It was such a weird time, though. Yeah, like, how did
2: you feel dude, all I, that? I
1: couldn't. Like, I remember I was working with with Orange and. He was like, did I sell that too long? And I was like, I don't know. If there's no crowd, I, I don't know how to gauge anything. Yeah. I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? And it was really strange. And I remember when the people started coming back, I was like, are they still going to, am I still going to be over? Like, <laughs> who knows? None of us
2: really knew for sure what was going down, yeah. you know? So it was very strange. Isn't it crazy how long ago that feels too? And now now we're just doing like I know 16,000 people. I know. You know? I mean, it was it was it was a, a experience that we all shared. I think it was good
1: good in the long run as far as being a, a, a versatile performer, but I don't ever want to do that again. No, no, you the, know the bumps hurt so much more. in, oh, front, of did. No, in front of no people. <laughs> Outside, it was either like a hundred degrees or it was thirty five degrees or whatever it was. Been in the, in the amphitheater, you know.
2: Yeah, a, a couple of those Jacksonville tapings I did were brutal yeah <laughs> the days were so long man it's so hot in the beginning of the day yeah and it's freezing at night you're there till two o'clock in the morning oh my gosh yeah
1: so as we start to wind down here let's talk about some of your matches that you've had in aw because um, there's been some great ones and you mentioned some of these great guys you've been in the ring with what would have been some of the the, the opponents that you enjoyed being in there with uh,
2: people who when i started wrestling i never would have imagined that i've i would have shared a ring with cm punk right uh, brian danielson chris jericho yeah even people like eddie kingston like i i didn't think i thought that our past were so differing i didn't think i was going to be wrestled with someone like that mm. who was a couple indie generations before me um i'm probably missing some i feel like there's did you work with Tum- punk yeah i had to match the punk on rampage yeah how, how, so how was that putting it how, how was that that you feel oh it was a blast man he's yeah. He's the best. He's yeah. one, one of the best ever, man. He's, yeah. Wrestling him, it's so easy when you wrestle these top guys, man. Especially because you never have to worry about there being a reaction because I go out there and wrestle punk, we don't have to do anything. Right. He's he's over. The crowd is going to be and that was like his third match back. Yeah. The crowd's going to be going crazy regardless. I don't need to do anything. That's right. Too out of the ordinary to get the crowd going. They're already going to be into it. So I feel like I get nervous about wrestling like on dark like a random guy in dark because I have to worry about crowd reaction and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. But when I'm in the ring with people who have been over for 15, 20 years, I never have to worry about a crowd reaction at all because I know they're going to carry most of the weight in that sense.
1: But that's the true story of what pro wrestling is. And when you're, it's it's, it's great that you realize that being as young as you are, cause I remember wrestling, uh, it was probably summer of 92, so I was probably 21, and Nick Bockwinkle was like, like the special commentator whatever yeah. it was. And uh, he was like, "Yeah, you, you move too fast. You do too many moves. You know, you, you don't have to do so much." And I was remember thinking, like, and everybody thinks this way. Sort of like, what does he know? Of course, you know. And then how years later you realize like he's totally right. <laughs> That's the beauty of wrestling: having the crowd reaction and the story is way more important
2: than any moves you could ever do. Yes, yes. And I feel like there definitely is a time and place to, to like, kind of give it your all. And I'm not saying like. We take the night. People who are over take the night off or anything. Yeah. But I think sometimes when it's too young guys aren't too known by the crowd, maybe that's best to kind of do some crazy stuff to get the crowd going. Right. But um, when I'm in there with Punk or you or Brian, I realize the crowd is going to be going bananas regardless of what we do. They're going to react to a shoulder tackle the same way they react to a Canadian destroyer. Well, yeah, and like you said, and that's the beauty, and that's one thing I
1: love about having our our faction is that. You guys are getting experience that like just walking out there and just being like 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 we like i said like high school bullies you know slapping papers out of yeah. people's hands and all that stuff that's that's just that to me is just as fun that any match
2: you could ever have as oh well. yeah the promos that we do are just as fun as wrestling to me yeah you know i, yeah. I, lo- I love doing those promos and the backstage <laughs> stuff throwing fireballs because that's the stuff that i grew up watching you know like I grew up. I did grow up watching New Japan as I got older and stuff. But when I was a kid, I was watching ruthless aggression era, Ruth, ruthless aggression era WWE. Like I was seeing dumb stuff on TV every single week. So that I, I, I'm kind of glad I get to do some right, not comedic stuff, but stuff that isn't just. We're going to have this banger wrestling match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff that's entertaining for a TV crowd. Did you go to the matches when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. yeah. I used to hang out behind the arena. I was one of those kids, yeah. Was it, was it
1: called the Marine Midland Arena in Buffalo, what's it called?
2: Um, Buffalo, it's changed all yeah. the time. It was um, First Niagara Center. Niagara Center, yeah. Um, what was it before? HSBC Arena? That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever meet any of the guys when you were hanging out back? Yeah, I got, out? I got some great pictures. I got one with uh, Lillian Garcia. I got one with (laughs) yeah, Layla. I think Santino Morella, Dolph Ziggler. I met some good ones back then.
1: It's such a great uh, wrestling city, Buffalo is.
2: Yeah, I I think every time like WWE goes there, it still sells out. Yeah, we're one of the best markets for wrestling.
1: We we had uh, my dad when I was in WCW. My dad they brought him in. I was like this, you know, the cowardly whining guy. And he was in Buffalo Mm -hmm. and he was like, you know, look at, look at the names from the rafters, the French connection, Timmy Horton. I played with Timmy Horton. You don't, you don't match up to any of these guys. Uh
2: You're an embarrassment to the family. I just remember that was in that arena there in Buffalo. (laughs) Buffalo is a great wrestling town, man. Even the indie scene, we have like a couple for, for not a huge city. We have a couple big indie promotions that draw like 500 people every, every month.
1: Do you talk still? I'm sure you do to to Puff and, and Blackwood. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they happy for you?
2: They're very happy for me, yeah, and I'm very happy for their success as well. Like being able to wrestle Kevin Blackwood in the Battle of Los Angeles for PWG was a was a great moment. That was a, one of the coolest things I've done in wrestling so far.
1: So, last couple questions for you. So, now that you, you're here, um, what's kind of your
2: overall goal in AEW? Yeah, I want I want to go down as one of the greatest. Sports entertainers, wrestlers of all time. I think I want to be in the conversation once I retire, even if I'm not like a consensus greatest of all time. I want it to, when people talk about, if there's like a round table discussion, when they're saying like, man, we got to talk about who's the greatest of all time. I want to at least be in the conversation. I want someone to bring my name up. That's my goal. You know, I I want to be a, I want to be a multi-time world champion. I want, I want to give people moments to remember that they're going to tell their kids about, like, oh, like, if a, if a dad is watching, sees his kid watching wrestling, I want them to come and be like, oh, I used to watch your Daniel Garcia <laughs> beat up John Moxley at the forum. Like, I want people to talk about me in the same light that they talk about people like you or they talk about Triple H or mm. Brian. I want to be, I want to be remembered is the main goal. What mingle. do you think
1: Yet, what, what do you have to continue to do and what do you have to work on to get to that point?
2: i think i have a lot to work on you know I, I think i need more reps i think i was getting a lot of reps on the indies and now obviously you can't there's only so much tv time every single week <laughs> right. it's not like you can go out and wrestle for 20 minutes and work the crowd and yeah. do, all, do all these things like i was able to do on the indies so I, w- I would like to get more reps i would like to get um more high level reps against people who can teach me like like yeah. you and punk and brian and i think uh some pay-per-view matches where I don't have to worry too much about time and stuff like that. I think those are going to be the things that are going to take me to the next level.
1: It's interesting for, for a young guy, because like you said, when, when, when I was, when I was your age, like there was, you were always working. I would work 10 matches a week in Mexico, or you'd go to Japan and do a three week tour with, you know, six shows a week, basically. And you're always working Hamburg, I worked 36 nights straight working, 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 working. Is that a little bit
2: hard to just work every once in a while? Yeah, because I feel like you kind of get into a rhythm, right? Yeah. Where you feel on. And then sometimes sometimes I feel like at AEW, it's it's like not playing a whole NBA season. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you got to go play game seven in the finals right now. <laughs> it's
1: like, you but, did like you did on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like sometimes. And I always feel ready. Like, I still train. And I am I have a lot of faith in my cardio. And yeah. I have a lot of faith in myself as a performer to where I know I'm going to deliver. But sometimes I feel like if I had a little bit more reps, maybe I'd be a little bit sharper with some things.
1: You would do great if you did like Best of Super Junior or if you did G1. Is that kind of one of your goals to do that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of offended that that they didn't hit me up for Best of Super Juniors this year. I thought. But if you were there, you wouldn't have been in the Anakin arena. That's probably the reason why, to be honest with you. I was offended. Were you you really? Yeah, when you would have got announced. And I was like, They 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 didn't hit up Daniel Garcia to be Best of the Super Juniors but i think they're just saving me for the g1 to be honest well, they're probably saving me but honestly too like i said we had so much stuff going on we i
1: couldn't have i, I would have had to kibosh it exactly You'd be mad exactly at
2: me. but but I, I just i wanted at like, least the offer you could have at least reached out
0: yeah, yeah you know yeah.
2: i i felt a little bit slighted yeah but i'm also somebody where sometimes i feel like i need to carry a chip on my shoulder in order to be the best version of myself yeah. So I feel like that's going to be some good motivation for you need the next of wrestling. Months.
1: You have to have a little bit of chip on your shoulder. You have yeah. to be a little bit of an asshole. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but you have to have a little bit of
2: fire inside of you. Definitely. You know? definitely. The... Last question for you. What's your favorite match that you ever had? Ooh, my favorite match I've ever had. It might be a little bit of recency bias, but Anarchy in the Arena is oh. definitely up there. <laughs> I feel like my top three matches are probably that I've had that I enjoy. Our me and Yuda, hour-long match last summer. Anarchy in the arena. And that Mox one, man, that might be my best singles match ever, the one I just had so on that I, I'd bet for
1: that. That
2: might be my best match ever. And yeah, two of those ma- matches happened within a week's span of each See other. See <laughs> what happened? You <laughs> yeah. would have
1: been a Best of Super Junior. You're right. Yeah. It's, we were looking for
2: Wheeler. He's like, he's not back yet. Yeah. So everything works out the way it's supposed to. Every, everything always works out the way it's supposed to. Every single time. Who are you looking forward to working with here that you haven't worked with yet? Ooh. I want to wrestle Brian again, man. I want to wrestle Brian with more time yeah. and, more, and more freedom.
1: How did you like wrestling with him? Because you mentioned he was your favorite wrestler yeah.
2: ever. It was cool, man. I mean, that was another one I didn't find out. I was wrestling him until an hour before the show started. That's when I was like, oh, I guess I'm wrestling my favorite wrestler of all time tonight. The, the man, The man I almost cried watching win the world title in my living room. Uh, I would like to wrestle him again. Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly are two people I would love to wrestle. I think me and Kyle O'Reilly would put on a crazy match. Samoa Joe. Yeah. Yeah, but there's there's tons of people that I still got to get my hands on here.
1: Well, Danielson, um, how did you kind of differentiate that? Because you mentioned like, okay, here I am, Brian Danielson, favorite wrestler, crying, but I got an hour to... Now, try and beat the crap out of this guy.
2: Yeah, I kind of preferred that I didn't know about it because it didn't give me a time to overthink it for a week. I kind of ah. got to the show. They're like, You're wrestling, Brian? I'm like, Okay, let's do it. Like, I, I don't got no time to think about right. it. Might as well just do it. Yeah, and I, I kind of prefer it that way sometimes. Yeah. We'll do this, but it's great having you on the
1: squad. And uh, we're five stars, baby. Like you said, five stars, man. We're the five star sports entertainers now.
2: Appreciate us.
1: And the fact <laughs> that we wore the Kangol hats yes. specifically because you started it yes that's yes. your influence
2: already the, the influencer that's what they should call <laughs> me <man. laughs> thanks dude thanks Chris